1: The collector and the dealer, vintage, modern, and everything else in today's sports card world. It is Chuck Oliver and Joe Davis here. I am the collector, he's the dealer, and welcome to episode one. Uh, A little bit about me, Chuck Oliver. I have been collecting since 1976. Started cutting grass, which means I started buying baseball cards. And for almost invariably what I find out is most guys started collecting second or third grade they usually stay hardcore through ninth or tenth grade and then later as an adult they come back to it Uh, i want to introduce uh the the cohort here the dealer into this from atlanta georgia as well a guy that i am lucky enough to have known since middle school i believe it is joe davis joe welcome brother tell everybody uh who you are and why you're on
2: Great to be here, Chuck. This is Joe with GotBaseballCards.com. We have a retail store in Loganville, Georgia. Been selling online uh, about as long as we've been able to. Uh, I, too, started collecting in 1976, also my first year, and still have many fond memories as a collector dating back 40-plus years.
1: Yeah, and you know, we grew up. Like I said, it, it's so it was so courteous of one of my best friends to grow up and be one of the biggest baseball card dealers in the South, um, because it just gives me, you know, instant inventory, and I can order anything, and knowledge, and all that other stuff. But um, you know, we've even had some funny exchanges. I bought a Mickey Mantle card from you. I think it was a '68 Mantle in like 1998. Fifteen years later, I'm showing you the card. And you're like, did I sell you this? Do I remember this? Um, and it was one of those things where it, it literally was 15 years later and is the exact same card. Um, and a lot of your business, you mentioned the retail store. Um, that's where I got the mantle card, but I mean, I have to imagine it's not even shows. It's not even, um, uh, retail. It's gotta be mail order. Like most people, isn't it?
2: Yeah, we have a diverse mix of where we sell. And, um, right now we're relying very heavily on our online sales and uh but we uh we have a great retail group great group of retail customers but uh our biggest percentage is online selling yes
1: so the collector and the dealer vintage modern and everything else in today's sports card world and for episode 1 this was so purposeful and so intentional uh, i'm a radio host in Atlanta Georgia and i got a syndicated college football show throughout the south it's uh nine states 50 stations every day And so everybody knows me for college football and got a bunch of 30 something thousand Twitter followers. But my passion, honestly, my hobby, my my downtime when I'm not immersed in college football so I can do my job is I I collect. And I have gotten back into the industry um, after, like most people, you know, you start working, you move out into life. And then you're like, wait a minute, I love my baseball cards. So whenever I tweet out something, Joe, um, I'll include pictures and it, it might be me at a national. It might be after I come back. I was at a one day show up in Nashville, uh, about six weeks ago. One of the last shows that has, has taken place. I'll always tweet stuff out, Joe. And invariably I'll hear back. And I mean, literally a hundred guys and they'll say, Hey, I used to collect and, and then there's only, there's, there's two ways that all of them respond is I used to collect. And I've been thinking of getting back in, don't know where to start. I used to collect, and I've been thinking of selling my cards, but don't know where to do it. Let's start with the first one for the first half of uh, episode one. Joe, I used to collect, and I've been thinking of getting back in, but don't know where to start. Um, I tell folks, do take a minute, survey, try to figure out you know, what you like. I don't want you to wind up with a complete set of 1977 tops cloth stickers. Um, and so, so take a second and figure out what you like, but there is no wrong answer. If it is what you enjoy, uh, what's your advice to people when they say, Oh, I haven't collected in 25 years. I don't know where to start.
2: Yeah. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is we have customers come in. They're like, well, I hear the industry is really hot because it's about as strong as it's I, honestly it's about as, it's truly as strong as it's ever been, if not hotter lately. And, uh, we have people who are getting back in for the wrong reason. They're like, "Hey, I hear this industry is hot. I want to put a lot of money into it." And I say, "That's really not the right approach. If you do want to enjoy it, you know, buy what you love, whether it be reliving your childhood or whether it's, you know, following, you know, buying up cards of, of athletes that you're seeing nowadays, and you like. I think this this guy. It's funny we talk about you know, Zion Williamson, he's a good investment, you know, or, or this, you know, guy's a good investment because we think of the potential of their cards.
1: Do I buy a thousand Luca or a thousand Trey?
2: Exactly. And we have that debate in our store often uh, because they're like, yeah, but Luca's you know more complete. They're like, yeah, but Trey's going to be the bigger superstar back and forth. So, but I tell people, you know, again, buy what you love. um, And because that way, if you don't get, if you can't resell the stuff at a profit, at least you have something in your hand that you can enjoy.
1: And, and I want to actually go back because sort of the I'm going to bracket. There, there's basically like three eras of the industry for me until recently when like basketball and high end baseball and just all kinds of great cards have really kind of refueled the industry. But you have vintage, which either goes through like '72 or maybe up to '80. Um, I hate to say it because I don't know, like Tony Gwynn's rookie card is not junk wax. But that whole era up through about sport flicks and, you know, some of the score, um, that's junk wax up to about 92 ninety three. And then there started to be like the high end and the relic cards coming back. I want to tell you what what happened to me, Joe, is it was when, you know, if I say I got a nineteen seventy nine Gary Carter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If I say I have a 1993 uh, Cecil Fielder, there might be 35 or 40 1993 Cecil Fielders, and it got to be so overwhelming uh, that I just stepped away from the hobby. And I have to imagine that that's the story of a lot of guys that get into their 40s, 50s, or whatever. They're like, there just got to be too much.
2: Yeah, the mid-90s was a tough time. We opened our business in 1991 when the hobby was incredibly strong. The 1991 National uh, in California is still the all-time record for attendance at a national. Things were booming, and then we started to see the proliferation of too many new products, and then we had the baseball strike in 94, and we lost a lot of collectors then. Um, and, and you're right, uh, the the parallel for cards started uh, in the early 90s, and then it got out of control where every company was trying to one-up the other and say, well, you know, Top started doing the the gold parallels in the 92 and then pinnacle uh in 94 had museum cards but they also had artist proof cards and, and then before you knew it jewel refractors and just oh, yeah. all, yeah yeah there was version after version after version of the same card and so for player collectors it got re- really challenging i have a friend the only thing he collects is eddie murray yeah and i forgot the last time he told me he has like 14,000 different Eddie Murray's or something. That's all he does. But he said, you know, he he can't keep up because even now there's, you know, Hall of Fame throwback cards of Eddie Murray coming in. So here it's a challenge.
1: Well, for, uh, again, someone listening who says, oh, yeah, I used to collect, and I've been thinking to get back in. Um, what is a good like hobby resource it's going to be online I mean you can show up at a show and just kind of walk the aisles and, and keep your hands in your pocket but but walk the aisles and kind of you know get a bird's eye like that but for me it's online because you can get as niche or as as a, like satellite image of the industry as you want for a guy who's thinking of getting back in where would you direct him? Um,
2: you know Beckett.com. Uh, continually has updated. You know, everybody knows the name Beckett. Uh, I actually did a podcast with Jim Beckett a, a couple months ago. Um, he, uh, you know, was the uh, forerunner in price guides for the card industry. And now he sold his company years ago, but Beckett.com is still a great source for uh, industry news. It also has resources for price guides, and there's a marketplace. Uh, we sell on there. Many other people sell on there. Uh, where there's a vast variety of singles but they do have um information for you know new boxes the you know uh, information for boxes coming out boxes that have been released and so forth
1: all right the collector and the dealer vintage modern and everything else in today's sports card world if you have said hey i used to collect i've been thinking of getting back in I don't know where to start. Uh, We've already addressed uh, some of your issues. We will take a quick break when we come back. It's the flip side. Oh, yeah. I used to collect, and I'm looking to cash out. That's next on The Collector and the Dealer.
0: A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation
1: Episode one, the collector and the dealer. Vintage, modern, and everything else in today's sports card world. I am Chuck Oliver. I'm just the collector. I've been doing that since uh, 1976. I was a second grader cutting grass, which means I had money for tops cards. Uh, The dealer, that's Joe Davis. Now, he started out like me, uh, but now uh, he's got a business license and he buys a lot of postage. Uh, Joe, let's get back into this. I used to collect in the flip side. I've been thinking of selling my cards but don't know where to do it. Now, I'm going to tell you how it used to be, and everybody knows this. Um, you could walk into a card shop, and the percentages may change, but as I recall, it was like, we'll give you 60% or so in trade. We'll give you like 40 to 50% in cash. Um, and that's, A, not how it is anymore because there are almost no stores. But – it, it most of it is online. Um, you can sell it at shows, etc. You still have a lot of options out there, but the landscape of the industry um, it, it is a whole lot different. What do you tell people when they say, "Hey, I've got you know all these cards from when I grew up"? What do I do with them? Well, if it's
2: a walk-in customer, the first thing I say is, "Let me see them. We may want to buy them <laughs> because we are we our company is one of the largest buyers of cards in the country." But um, if, if someone in, you know, in another state just calls me and says, I'm trying to get back in, I need to learn how to, to, to effectively buy and sell, or I already have a lot of cards. I need a good source to sell. Uh, one of the easiest places for a novice, uh, is a site that I use called com dot com. What this is, is a, uh, they're kind of a, a, storage house for collections. I do You ever bought on there, Chuck yourself? Negative.
1: No, I know the website, but I have not.
2: Okay, it's uh, I use it regularly. Um, basically, what it is, you can take your cards, ship them to this company. They will scan the cards front and back for you. They will describe them for you. Uh, they will get, put an accurate condition for you. Put them on their website, and then the only thing you have to do is price them. They'll even push the cards to eBay for you as well. Uh, there is a, a charge of thirty-five cents per card. For them to do all that work, and then it, it's pricier on vintage cards. And
1: oh, right that's for, robbery, man! You're ripping off that company for thirty-five cents for somebody to handle all of that. What a deal!
2: Yeah, we send them thousands of cards a month because there's. We, I mean, we we have uh, over a million cards online ourselves, but there's a lot of times a collection will come in. There's there's you know this one gold refractor of this guy, and there's this one relic of this guy, and it's just it's it's not for our time. You know, when we, we put the value on our time, it's like for $0.35, cents, I'll just ship it to them. They can scan it, describe it, put it on their site, and then they'll put it on eBay for us. And the other beautiful thing about their site is that you can compare your card to all the others of the same same exact card in the industry. And they'll tell you, like, hey, the low sell on this card is $24.95. What do you want to price yours at? There's just a little box. You enter your price. So in real time, at all times, you can see what your card is priced at versus your competition, and you can go in and reprice it. I'm, I'm on that site every day.
1: So. I want to tell folks also, um, here's something else I said. You know, everybody who gets back in, here are two things they say. Well, here's a third one. Oh, yeah, they're all nines. Um, Joe, they're probably like five-and-a-halves or sixes or sevens. Yeah. Nobody nobody wants to have the gumption to say ten because they know they're not tens, but but they want to get the point across. They got nice stuff, so everybody, oh, they're all eights and nines. Um, or they see on eBay – that well, this card sold for eighteen hundred, and I'm like, no, it was priced at eighteen hundred, and doesn't have any bids, and that is a nine and a half. Um, if if someone is getting back into the industry, they don't do it to to be rude or aggressive. They do it honestly out of just bottom line uh, inexperience with how that works. Uh, grade and price asked that 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 affects everything versus price sold.
2: Exactly, yeah. That we hear that conversation probably 20-fold for how often you hear it because every day we get phone calls about (laughs) yeah I want to sell you my 1990 Ken Griffey and I see it's worth $3,000 and we get it all the time on Jordan cards I I remember one of the saddest stories I had a customer drive over to he called me said I've got this really rare Michael Jordan card to sell you and I kept saying well tell me which one it is he goes well I've already seen it's worth $2,000 I just want to come sell it to you I said, "Well." If it's really a $2,000 retail market card, I'd be interested in seeing it, but I'd rather you tell me what it is or shoot me a picture. He goes, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. So this guy drove two hours to our store, walks in, lays the card down. And I look at him like, um, you know, where's the good card? You know, He's like, no, no, this is it. He goes, it's $2,000. So I asked him, I said, how many do you want to buy for $2? And he was like, uh, no, I don't want to buy any. and I was like well that's that's retail value for that card is too and you know so Mm -hmm. it was was a painful lesson for him but I I tried you know but he he didn't want to listen so
1: well that is uh, one thing I wanted to make sure because it it really you're right a guy or or whoever has their cards will look online and say oh this is what they're going for and it's like no that's what folks are asking on eBay and it may it may not even be a great condition card but it may be a nine nine and a half or in a rare case a 10 and so I wanted to mention that to to say recalibrate a little bit, do a little bit more investigation, because, Joe, what you just described, there are folks all over the country who have had that same experience, and they've been on the selling end. Like, I thought this because I saw it, and I'm like, well, it's not exactly that. All right, one thing we're going to do on each episode, we're going to wrap up with Joe's going to break a box this weekend and uh, Chuck's vintage set of the week. And the cool part about one of the reasons I love having you on, Joe, uh, joe's buying a box and if you were going to rip a box this weekend just at, for fun or for investment or you're trying to finish a set or whatever joe's going to tilt towards the more modern end with you know once the inserts and the relics and all those uh, started appearing uh and it can be anywhere on the spectrum i'm going to go strictly vintage and tell you about something i love joe uh, what's your first choice for joe's buying a box
2: uh right now i've been very much in basketball mode i would probably rip a box of uh 1920 optic basketball just recently released of course it's got rookie cards of zion rookie cards of Ja morant possible autographs uh lots of you know optic hollows which are like you know refractors and other brands and it's just beautiful set white bordered set beautiful card set
1: Um, my vintage set of the week i'm probably going to go maybe on the 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 top end of vintage tell me joe am i am i correct 72 or is it 73 because that was the last year with the actual series or do you go up to 1980 that's usually where people want to define one of those three years or do you have a different year to define the end of quote vintage
2: yeah um i used to you call it it's at 72 73 because for us 72 is like the last year that it's we don't readily see large quantities come in the store seventy three we still have a we probably have forty thousand seventy three yeah. in stock so
1: seventy two's uh, my cut off as well because honestly yeah. i don't want to say it's the last quote good set
2: yeah i think a lot things kind of went downhill <laughs> therefore a while seventy two is a is a classic um but nowadays you know like for grading companies they cut it off in nineteen eighty so you yeah, know yeah. there's a lot of different uh uh, different ways to measure that engagement. Yeah, when
1: When Donruss and Fleer uh, correctly identified that uh, Topps has a monopoly, this isn't fair, um, then 1981 is when all three sets started producing, and, and and that is the last cutoff for anybody even claiming vintage. Uh, 1980 oh. is the upper end of that. For 1972, it was a monster set. And, and, yeah, I mean, for stars and Hall of Famers, a lot more than rookies. It was 787 cards, and, I mean, there were just some – the design, I just love it. When I was growing up, I thought, who is the art director on acid? Uh, my eyes are okay. bleeding. These are ugly. But now I look at them and I realize, Joe, it could not be more of the time and the uniforms and the sideburns, um, the the boyhood photos, the, the weird cards of the awards. And by the way, like the MVP award, I don't mean they show that year's MVP player. Joe, Topps put the picture of the actual plaque on a card by itself. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I love my favorite were the inactions. The, oh, absolutely. the Inaction. Yeah, those those were great.
1: And it would be, you know, some players like Juan Marichal has an inaction. But then there's got Chris Beyer. I'm like, is Chris Pyer really good enough that he needed an inaction card? They have the oh. traded series as well. As Joe said, uh, it is a classic and it really is the 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 end of what was honestly a seven or eight year run, eight set run from Topps. Beginning in 65, where literally they hit it virtually every single year on the mark. So 1972 is also attainable. Um, You got the Carlton Fisk rookie, a couple of others, but it's not heavy on rookies. It is heavy on Hall of Famers, and I mean Aaron Mays, all of them. And centering is an absolute bear. So 72 tops is my uh, vintage set of the week. That's going to wrap up episode one of The Collector and the Dealer.